everyone and welcome to a new year and to a new episode of our Pensions and Diversity podcast series. I'm delighted today that we're kicking off the year with our special guest, David Fairs, who I'm sure will be known to many of you, but is Executive Director for Regulatory Policy Analysis and Advice at the Pensions Regulator. Welcome, David. Thank you. Many of our listeners will be familiar with the Regulator's Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Strategy, which was published in 2021, and also with the work of the Industry Working Group, which TPR has convened to help drive meaningful change in the industry. And there have obviously also been policy launches and most recently a blog post on this topic. And I think, to my mind, the critical aspect of the strategy is that it encompasses both inward change, which many of our organisations will be familiar with. So strategies to make the TPR itself as an organisation and and as an employer more diverse. But I think more importantly, the question of industry-wide change. And I think it says somewhere in the policy document that really the aim here is to ensure good governance and decision making so as to deliver good outcomes for savers, which I think will be welcome news across the financial services industry. And that perhaps uh, is a good place to start. Uh, In your recent blog, which was a a discussion about why trustee meetings should be more uncomfortable, you said, it's clear to you that diverse groups make better decisions. I mean, I completely agree with that. And I'm I'm sure that many of our listeners would do also. But could I ask you just to elaborate on that statement and explain why you think that's the case? but also what evidence there has been in the pension sphere to support that assertion? Yeah, so I I think it is probably fair to say that there's not huge volumes of evidence uh, in relation to trustee boards about all aspects of diversity. Um, But there is some, and we're pulling that together, and we'll be sharing that with our regulated community. But from my perspective, this has built up uh, from a number of areas and over many years, Prior to joining the regulator, I was involved in a number of areas relating to diversity. I worked a lot on the analysis that was published by the 30% Club, uh, supporting increased representation of women on boards. And as a consultant, I was involved in a number of work assignments relating workforce structures and human performance to business performance. And as an aside, I was fortunate to work with McLaren, the Formula One racing team, building on research and findings that they had with Formula One drivers and engineers and also their involvement with the England rugby team to see how they looked at relating individual performance to team and corporate performance. And we took their thinking and approaches into the corporate world. And now I recognise that some of, of this is not in the public domain, but time and again, we found that diverse and specifically gender diverse teams achieved greater sales performance, lower levels of customer complaints, and they provided lower conduct risk. And of course, I think that's why the FCA and the PRA are also looking at diversity. They believe that diverse leadership in the financial sector will produce stronger governance and reduce conduct risk. But but bringing it back to pension trustees, and again, in, in my former life, I set up a trustee board effectiveness service. And as part of that review, we looked at diversity and mirroring some of the areas that TPR actually had at the time, and they set out in their DC code. And we looked not just at some of the obvious and visible signs of diversity, but we looked at individual profiles. And we used a psychologist to look at 
people's thinking styles, their behaviour, their inclusiveness as a trustee board. And now I recognise that not all trustee boards have the resources to profile all current trustees and prospective trustees. But it was interesting to see improvements in governance that using a psychologist, looking at the diversity of thought to look at the existing mix of trustees, but also help select new ones and explain how each prospective trustee needed to be integrated into the trustee team, their preferred styles and ways of operating. And actually, since I've been at the regulator, one of our lawyers has written a master's on the very high correlation between the boards that meet all our key governance requirements and gender diversity. But what we're looking to do now is to build up a much broader evidence base that shows not just that gender diversity is important, but other forms of diversity, ethnicity, sexual orientation, disability and neurodivergence are also providing stronger governance but also providing insights into, uh, for example, why are people opting out? Why are some people not saving as much as they need? We know that there are these differences in savers by gender and ethnicity, but we need trustees to understand some of the lived experience of their members to make the right and the best decisions for them. I think that's a really interesting point that you make there about the, the lived experience of the members, because of course, in some respects, um, the whole member-nominated trustee structure should start encouraging some of that into trustee boards and should have done. But I suppose that, A, that wasn't the driver at the time, but also, uh, in, in a way, I suspect many boards, the, the member-nominated trustees will come on board and in some respects be sort of swept up into the, I suppose, groupthink that often will dominate with a board that they come into and, and it perhaps hasn't brought the diversity of thought and experience that perhaps it might have done if, if we'd been approaching it with that that diversity lens. Um, I think I think it's a really interesting a really interesting point but from a practical perspective and in fact that point about bringing somebody into a trustee board and integrating them and um, understanding how each board operates you know I suppose that's a practical step and could I ask you to elaborate on what, what steps do you think trustee boards themselves should be taking to promote greater diversity? So I suppose it's both about selection and about conduct. Well, it is, but it's also about the, the makeup of, of the, the membership themselves. And so um, I would like trustees to think about the makeup of their membership, the diversity of their membership, if you like, and understand what that diversity might mean in terms of the actions and decisions that those members might make. To, to think about diversity when they're making decisions in relation to their members. Are they inherently disadvantaging some members, perhaps unwittingly, which if they thought about it carefully, would they make the same decision, knowing it might not be understood or help all their members equally? And as you say, I think uh, they need to think very carefully about the diversity of the trustee group and maybe even actually of their advisors. And you're right, they've got to think about the process of how they get trustees on board. Does that unintentionally bias for or against some members? And does that deprive the trustee body of some skills, some expertise or particular insights? And, and I think, you know, time and again, you see trustee roles being phrased in terms of many years of financial, legal or investment experience. But I think you have to ask, does that get you the people who know about communication using social media, 
who understand climate change, natural capital or Sharia funds. And we've got to be much broader thinking in terms of the skills and experiences that make up a trustee body. So trustees do need to think about their recruitment process. They need to talk to their employer and, you know, the employer probably controls some of the appointments, maybe all the appointments. If they have uh, professional trustee firms represented in the trustee board, they need to talk to the, the professional trustee company to make sure that they're getting that diversity from them. But they've also got to look at how they operate. Do they make roles accessible to people who've got disabilities, who work part time or who have caring responsibilities? Do they describe the role in a way that might be interesting for people at the start of their savings journey and not, you know, typically it's there described for people who are at the end of that saving journey. So I, I think there is a lot to do and I recognise that trustees can't do all of these things at once. But we need to start that discussion. We need to devote time at trustee meetings to start thinking about these things. And, and how is the regulator helping trustees to to drive that change? I mean, because you know, there'll be a number of boards with sophisticated advisors who, who can help them with this or who have you know, professional independent trustees who are well placed to, to start these conversations. But for many, many schemes, I expect they'll be looking to the regulator as their main resource to help them. There is. I mean, there are already a number of initiatives that are taking place in the mar marketplace and, you know, we we want to support and uh, help promote those. Um, but, you know, we've been working for the last 12 months with a group of volunteers. We've got about 65 uh, volunteers across four main work streams and a whole host of substreams. Um, we're putting together the evidence base to convince the naysayers that this is the right thing to do. We're putting together some useful tools to help trustees in some of the things I've just spoken about uh, in terms of role descriptions, ways to attract people who might not previously have thought about becoming a trustee or who thought that their contribution wouldn't be welcome. So uh, tools to engage with employers and ways of working with employers to bring about change. Um, and we're looking at collating data so we can measure progress and see what a difference we're making. Um, we need to hold ourselves and the industry to, to account. Mm. And I think, you know, we've got to make progress in this area because it's fundamental to improving outcomes for all savers. We know that there are some communities that don't achieve the same outcomes as others. We need to improve the outcomes for savers in those communities. But just like the FCA and the PRA are looking at this to reduce conduct risk and improve governance, we need to do it for the same reasons. Um, so what you know what happens if we if we cut if we don't make progress and we we know this is going to take time and there's no magic bullet it will require I think sustained effort over many years to change ingrained biases and processes but if we don't make progress we might need to consider some of the same actions as those being uh, proposed by the FCA and the PRA but since we've been talking about that since we've been working with our 65 volunteers. I think the importance of equality, diversity and inclusion. Um, I've been really encouraged by the passion, the focus and the efforts in the industry to change and for that change to be meaningful and sustained. I think you're right that there there really is a, a drive for this now. And whereas perhaps when I started out, it was very much a focus just on gender diversity. Um, we've all become so much more sophisticated now and uh, as I said at the beginning, I think it's it's probably understood and accepted um, 
that we should be moving to more diverse boards, we should be moving to, to more inclusive approaches to decision making and conversation and discussion. I suppose the challenge is actually how do we get there? But I think it's very encouraging how many people have joined the working group um, in, in this sector and also for, for people in the industry to hear you talking about working collaboratively with other regulators um, ac across the financial services space. Um, if I may, um, you, you draw out in your strategy document that um, you can't really be in a position to tell schemes to adopt greater diversity without looking at how the regulator itself performs as an organisation and as and, a, and an employer. Um, could you highlight for us, you know, perhaps some of the steps that you've taken in, internally, but also some of the challenges that that's, that's thrown up? Because I suspect your organisation is, is different from, from many of ours. That's right. Look, I mean, if we're saying that diverse groups uh, improve governance and, and produce better decision making, it obviously follows that that must be true of us, us too, as, as a regulator. Um, not only in terms of our governance as an employer, but also the decisions that we make uh, relative to our regulated community. Um, We've had now for over a year an equality, diversity and inclusion subcommittee of our executive, and that's been working with all our internal networks and was very much behind uh, our EDI strategy. And I think, you know, as an employer in some areas, we're already in a good place. So pretty much at every grade within TPR from the board down, we have very close to 50-50 representation by gender. Um, but we have less strong representation by ethnicity, disability and sexual orientation. And particularly that's the case at senior levels. So in terms of recruitment, we're looking at how we describe roles, where we advertise them. We're looking at our selection criteria for getting people into TPR to get a more diverse level of candidates than we've previously attracted. We're looking to make people who may never have considered a career with us to be able to consider it. We're looking at our selection process and our selection criteria to make sure that we're not inadvertently operating bias against some communities. We also need to support and create opportunities for those that are already in TPR um, to rise through the organization to take up some of those senior roles. Um, we're removing barriers and we're setting up a mentoring scheme to support those from underrepresented communities to be able to apply for more senior roles, to give them the confidence to be able to do that and for them to become role models themselves to their own community. Um, we've set up a reverse mentoring program. Uh, so I've had a mentor from the trans community, for example, and we're in the process of rolling out reverse mentoring much more widely in the organisation. We're also looking at the decisions that we make to make sure that we promote equality, diversity and inclusion and don't perpetuate or create inequality. And so, for example, every paper that comes to our executive committee sets out considerations around EDI, whether it has an impact. And if so, how have those been taken into account in the paper's recommendations? Now, so, you know, we're making lots of strides, but of course, we've got a lot more to do. Um, we're currently recruiting an EDNI lead to help support uh, our next steps and they'll support our change internally and also some of the change that we're expecting to make uh, with, with the regulated community. But broadly speaking, we're roughly on track with what we set out in our strategy. 
um, it, it probably won't surprise you to say that each and every executive on uh, uh, TPR's executive committee has got objectives around ED&I uh, in there and to make sure that we hold ourselves to account and that we do actually uh, fulfill what we've set out in our strategy. So we're, we're making progress. There's a lot more to do. It's a very exciting uh, subject for us uh, and one that I, I personally feel very passionately about. I think I think you make a, a good point there, David. That, um, and I, I'm sure this is the case for for us as, uh, and for many other organisations. That greater we're, we're recruiting across a greater diversity, a, a more diverse population, and there is greater diversity at our lower levels in our organisation. It will just take time if we're successful in our retention policies and in our. Um, development of our talent for that to roll through to the senior levels because not everything is going to be an external um, lateral re recruit um, and, and I suppose um, on that vein if I may to, to wrap up our conversation if we were to roll forward a number of years say five years um, what would success look like for you um, in terms of achieving greater di diversity and inclusion both internally and um, perhaps more, more interestingly within the pensions industry generally? So I, I think, you know, for us, success would mean that we as an employer have diversity in all senses at our board, our executive, within our senior leadership team, and indeed all the way through the organisation. And whether that's gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, disability or neurodivergence, every person from every community ought to have an equal opportunity, be equally valued and be respected for what they bring. And I hope that some of that would also be reflected in the trustee community, that they would have made significant strides to reflect and include representation from all communities in the same way. And I suppose what I'd really hope for is that we start to see equality of outcomes for savers from all communities and that some of the variation that we're currently seeing would have started to reduce. Well, you've certainly thrown out a challenge to the industry there, um, uh, both in terms of um, trustee board composition, but also in terms of what they can help the industry achieve. Uh, and I certainly hope that we we get there. We've been so, uh, you know, as a as a, a country, very forward in terms of promoting EDI across other areas of our um of our uh, community but I think pension seems to sort of fall in the background people sometimes lose interest and, and actually it's of such wide-ranging importance and generationally becoming of um, a much greater challenge for, for younger people coming through I can only hope that um, it attracts the same um, the same interest and you've certainly thrown down the gauntlet so we will reschedule this podcast to um uh, rerun the same conversation in January 2027 and um, when you know I hope you and I will still be working uh, in these roles because of course it's important to ensure from a diversity perspective there are older people in the industry and we can have this discussion and see how far we have come. Um, thank you David that's certainly a lot of food for thought for our listeners um, and it's really a privilege to hear uh, from you about what the regulator is, is planning and, and the steps that you're, you're taking in this important area. So thank you very much for your time and for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity.